All right, this is The Yay, I'm Red Clay. And Norman G. This is The Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! And we want to thank Central Works for sponsoring uh, The Yay. Uh, Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. And uh, we have a special guest, Jonathan Williams. You are the artistic director of Tabard Theater. Jonathan, welcome. Correct. Thank you so much for having me on. Really, really happy to be here today. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I've been chasing you for a bit, but, you know, you've, uh, things have been busy and, you know, obviously, you know, uh, life has made a lot of changes. And, you know, earlier this year, you became artistic director. When I first contacted you, I saw you on stage at the, um, and I was wondering if you'd even remembered it, uh, the Aurora Theater, you did The Collectors. Yeah, uh, yes, The Creditors. I'm sorry, uh, The Creditors, yes. No, no problem. Yeah, no, over a year ago. I can't believe that it's been a year. And absolutely, oh. I remember the, the night clearly. I remember you sitting in the audience. I remember your, your body language. Uh, I, I noticed you right off the bat because you were so engaged. You were so with us there that night. And, uh, and then when you reached out a couple of days later, I was like, oh, I get it. Now I understand. I, I put it all together. I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. Wow. I've been a while <laughs> trying to get this to happen. But um, I, I'm very excited about what we have to talk about right now as far as what's going on in my life and what I've got going on over at uh, Tabard Theater. So it, it, everything happens for a reason. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, as I begin every uh, podcast, how was your uh, week, Norman? Oh, you know my week is because you <laughs> lived it with me. Good God. Yeah, so just, um, Reg and I are both doing, we did, uh, Reg was in a reading of Maddie May, a new play, and I directed. Um, so, and we had almost no production staff, which <laughs> I will not ever let happen again. <laughs> but um, so I ended up taking on wearing a lot more hats than I wanted to be wearing. Um, but I thought it was wonderful, and I thought we got a chance to take this story. Bay Area story, uh, Richmond in World War II um, exploded from 23,000 people to over 94,000 people in three years during the war effort. And so this is a story centering around a diner there, a uh, diner juke joint. Turns out the, uh, the historical woman actually was the first African-American woman to get her liquor license. So we sort of see that story unfolding, story of workers, story, you know, a couple of other little romance, all these stories of the people of Richmond dealing with this time. Um, exciting piece, a lot of fun, and a lot of work. And tonight we will do Radio Golf, August Wilson's Radio Golf, which is the last in his, um, what's it called, the Pittsburgh Cycle? Yeah, um, you, you know, one play for every decade of the 20th century, and this is the play for the 90s. Um, kind of touches on gentrification. It's very fun, and both Reg and I are in that as well. So it's been, it's been a lot of theater. Given uh, you can't go anywhere, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, it's it's interesting that although I haven't been on a stage, you know, all this year, but I've been more busier than I've ever been because people are starved for content. So. It's pretty cool, and it's very cool that Tabard Theater, the very concept of doing live theater via, you know, a camera and, um, you know, and having, you know, a live production um, is, is very, very cool now, and it's innovative, and I think that other theater companies should, uh, should think about it. It, it almost blends the, um, the genre of, th of theater and live TV. So it's, I, I think it's awesome what, what Tabard Theater is doing. Well, thank oh, you very much. wow, that's right. Yeah, I can't wait. We'll hear about that. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, there have been a couple of current events. I mean, obviously, you know, COVID-19 has, you know, ravaged um, the United States. And uh, now uh, the Republican National Convention has been canceled. You know, I don't even know if it, it even right. it moved from, I think, North Carolina to Florida, Jacksonville. And then Trump, at the last minute, was like, okay, fine, you know, whatever. It, we can't do it. So wasn't Kansas even going to do it? <laughs> Yeah, I think so. He was so desperate. Um, And also, (laughs) what's interesting, I mean, well, there's been a lot of stuff regarding, you know, now Trump is saying um, he wants schools open or there won't be any funding. So he's holding that over um, state and local governments. And also, I've been troubled by uh, these troops that have been showing up at um, Portland. And I think they're also showing up in Chicago and Albuquerque. Uh, these aren't, and I promise you, we will be in the street. I personally will be down in downtown Oakland if they try to show up here. Yeah, Jonathan, can I get your perspective? I mean, what do you think about what's been going on, and are you are you optimistic about the upcoming election? Um, what's your take on living in the age of Trump? Well, I'm optimistic that there might be a gigantic Democratic landslide here in uh, a couple of months. I think that's the only thing that's going to bring us back from the edge of you know, dare I say, fascism. Uh, it's, it's been, I have been for the last four years, just, uh, appalled at everything that's been coming out of the, the, the presidency. Uh, what's been happening, especially it's just put into such focus with what the response to the COVID, uh, situation is, uh, I I just, and isn't, (laughs) and isn't absolutely the fact that we are the only first world country that is, uh, struggling in the same way that, that we are, uh, you know, you've got, uh, Italy and Germany, uh, even the United Kingdoms just doing so much better. Uh, we are supposed to be the, the, the country that should be able to handle this better than any other country in the world. And we are just doing a terrible, terrible job. And it's not because we don't have the capability that we just don't have the right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I know. No, I totally uh, agree. And uh, you're absolutely right. The polls have Biden, you know, ahead in almost every single poll, even Fox news has um, Biden ahead, which is incredible. I mean, well, you know, uh, it's interesting. I was watching the interview that Trump did with uh, Chris, um, Chris Wallace, yeah. Uh, son of Mike Wallace. <laughs> yeah, very powerful. I had been disappointed with Chris Wallace. I was like, man, you know, Mike, if your dad were alive, he would do so much better. But he really proved me wrong this time around. He really pushed Trump's on a lot of things. And of course, Trump followed up with another interview with Fox with another reporter talking about his, his passing his cognitive test, basically saying that right. he told it. I mean, it's it was hilarious. I was watching. I, I love that he says that though, because this is a test for dementia, and he says he aced it. And I'm like, yeah, that that sounds right. Yep, yep. It's <laughs> it's a little crazy. Um, yeah, the bar is just so low right now <laughs> that that's that's an achievement on his scale, right? Uh, yeah. Right. Yep. I remembered five things in order. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. Have you seen the Sarah Cooper? The Sarah Cooper is hilarious on that one. Oh no, and I hadn't heard about that. But yeah, she's a comedian and she's been taking Trump these press conferences, the crazy things that he says on Mike, and then she just plays the audio and she does she she said she got the idea from sitting in boardrooms and watching these arrogant young men go off on about something that they obviously knew nothing about and just making shit up and people nodding and smiling and going, Oh well, that's cool and she's like I always wanted to be one of those guys. And so she's just taking 
Trump's audio verbatim and just doing this thing that is, you have to see it. It's hilarious. Yeah, it's, it's really crazy. And on a lighter note, well, I don't know if it's lighter or not, but I'm a little worried about Kanye West. Uh, Kanye has been, you know, uh, I don't Kanye do 2020. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, it ties into, it ties into black. And we talked about this on the other podcast, Black in the Bay, but I wonder, and it, and it gets into, um, you know, the protesting and Black Lives Matter, but the mentality, the psychology, the, the mental health. I really do believe that COVID-19 are tapping into, I mean, I watch some of the individuals who get violent because, you know, they attack a store owner because they weren't allowed to go into the right. schools because they don't wear their mask. Um, yeah. And I don't know what's going on with uh, Kanye West and Kim, and I tried not to get into the social stuff, but... Uh, a lot of people think he's I just. I don't know, crazy. Kim. Kim for first lady. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> man, I. I um. They're talking about uh, you know Kanye wants to divorce Kim and he's lashing out and what had issues with his mother. Oh yeah, you hadn't heard about that. Yeah. So, um, but I do wonder about our collective mental health and how we're handling either isolation or not being able to go to the movie theaters and all that sort of stuff. And it made me think, and this isn't like my last rant before we went into an origin story, but, you know, the greatest generation, you know, during the war times, World War One and Two, they sacrificed. They did rationing. You know, they, Fruitless Tuesdays, Fruitless Wednesdays, it was a problem for them. Why is it so hard for us to sacrifice just wearing a mask or sacrifice? And that's the reason why our COVID numbers are so up, because people won't do what they're supposed to do. Right. So, I just wonder, you know, where's our ability to sacrifice? So I saw beautiful uh, graphs, New York, as it went into it, went up and then has come down and California, which was low and then, ooh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And Florida's even worse. So, oh, yeah. so when we're comparing ourselves to Florida, we're in trouble. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. And with that, let's get one thing, if I can dovetail off of what you were saying. Absolutely. The, the thing that I think when you're talking about like the mental health of the nation and how crazy we're all going because of the you know, COVID-19 and Black Lives Matter and murder hornets and everything else you can possibly think of. <laughs> the one way of hope that I think in the back to get real change to happen, I think needs to have extreme circumstance. Uh, yeah. We've got a great nation. We have the ability to actually make change because we're a democracy, because we are the, the, the type of nation built in the way that we, we have been. But we have seen over and over again the fact that we, uh, we have institutionalized problems. We have core, core problems. And just watching the numbers of people that have been out on the street because of the Black Lives Matter movement, people that are really wanting to do things like there are actual legitimate governments talking about defunding police departments and things like that. I think that we are on the precipice of actually seeing something really profound happen here in the country. And I hope that the election has something to do with that. Mm. But more than anything, people are motivated right now in a way that I have never seen in my whole life. And I've, you know, I took to the streets to, to protest the, the wars in the Middle East. Uh, I, I've been trying to, to affect social change through the art that I do, I feel like right now, something might actually happen. <laughs> and uh, if right. because of the culmination of all these things, then great. Let's, let's make it happen. Let's be a part of that. No, yeah. that sounds great. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. And it's unfortunate that sometimes you think that people are motivated by love. Sometimes people are motivated by hate or anger. Uh, and they're so frustrated. They get off the couch and says, hey, I got to do something about this, whatever the this is. It may be Black Lives Matter or the Me Too movement or the environmental movement. Um, uh, if, if it's, you know, so, something has to motivate us to get out and, you know, make the change, be the change if you're waiting and waiting and nothing happens. Mm -hmm. So I totally agree with you, Jonathan. And so it's amazing to see people on the street and, and just engaged to the level that they are now. I hope this energy can survive for five. My wife was phone banking. You're going to do it next time. With and you. I'm going to do it. I am because I overheard she was talking to Arizona. Do you know where snowflakes come from? Arizona. Arizona. Turns out. Oh. There's a town. <laughs> but, uh, but I heard her, and all they're doing is calling, just asking people if they're registered and if they know if they've got uh, vote by mail that they need to get it in, you know, telling them their date. That's, that's it. If they ask anything more, I heard her one call talk about McSally. And I was like, yes, oh, yes, that'll be so worth doing. But I want to say before we jump to an origin story, um, I've been seeing your name since Reg booked you. And I'm like, Jonathan Williams, Jonathan Williams, whatever, whatever. whatever. I look on the website and I'm like, Jonathan Reese? Wait, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I've known this name for a long time. I've been hearing your name in Bay Area Theater for a long time. So I am so thrilled that you are on today. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I don't often put the Reese in there. We had just conversation. I'm just, I'm John Williams, you know. Uh, but yeah, Jonathan Reese Williams, that's the full equity name. And yeah, yeah I've, been, I've been kicking it here in the Bay Area and up in Sacramento, too, because I was up there for a while. Nice. But, uh, in the in California, doing doing the best work that I can for as long as I I, I can make it happen. <laughs> yeah, so yeah it's been great. So let's get into it. Uh, how did you get involved in theater? Uh, what, were you born and raised here in the in the Bay or California? Yeah, born and raised in the Bay Area, South Bay specifically. Uh, my parents uh, moved to this country in 1962. They are uh, immigrants, came from uh, the United Kingdom. Uh, they are both Welsh. Uh, I was born out here. My sister was born out here. Uh, I grew up uh, the, on the outskirts of Los Gatos, Los Gatos Campbell, kind of neck of the woods. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I always feel a little bit like uh, the people are going to think that, it, that I, you know, I had a silver spoon or something. That was not the case. <laughs> My dad was a professor over at San Jose State University for the better part of oh. his life. And uh, we just happened to, you know, uh, land in a nice little house out there in the suburbs. Uh, but I grew up in the South Bay, saw all the, the work that was going on uh, here. Uh, you know, five years old, I was in my first uh, Christmas pageant. Oh, no. I was, the <laughs> I was a bit of a hyperactive kid, used to bounce off the walls all the time. And uh, my, my parents stuck me in one of these uh, little uh, Christmas to-dos. And uh, uh, my mom says she saw me stand still for the first time for 20 minutes straight. And she said, oh, there's got to be something to this. This kid actually might, might get something out of this. And I've been doing stuff on stage ever since. Uh, that's cool. And so, and oh, and Campbell. But that's, I mean, the San Jose, South Bay area. Yeah, yeah, San Jose. Absolutely. San Jose that's amazing. Right. And good God, that means you've seen Campbell tech. You've seen oh, that yeah. whole explosion. Yeah, that's great. This whole growth, yeah. 
I used to walk through orchards, literally walk through orchards to get to school when I was a kid. And now, you know, you, you, you'd be hard pressed to find a fruit tree anywhere in that neck of the woods, right? Right, uh, right. It's, it's a, a, an amazing and beautiful evolution that we've seen down here in the South Bay area, uh, you know, for better or for worse. Uh, <laughs> nice. But, well, it's, you know, it's, lot, it's the new reality. Absolutely, absolutely. What um what school what um technical training did you have in theater? Did you study it in college? I did, yeah. So uh, you know, I, I was in classes and that kind of thing coming up through high school and whatnot. Uh, I went to American Conservatory Theater for their summer training program back in well, I won't even tell you what year because that, that was <laughs> last century. So, yes, yes, the last millennium actually. Oh. <laughs> if you think about it, right. Yeah. So, um, I'm in the early eighties. Uh, yeah, back in the day. Um, so that gave me my first taste of doing stuff like conservatory style, like really, really focused work, doing voice work as well as movement work and, uh, you know, the whole, the, the whole bundle. Uh, and that really made the decision for me that I wanted to go to a full conservatory style program as a college degree. And I went to California Institute of the Arts down in Los Angeles. Yay, Florida. me too. You did? Yeah. That's awesome. I was only there for one year, but in the 80s, mid-80s. Yeah. I was there in the early 90s. I was there from, mm -hmm. from 1990 to 1994. So uh, I graduated the year of the Northridge earthquake. Uh, which oh, geez. Affected us highly. Oh, uh, yeah. You were right up the road. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. When if, if, if people remember the images of collapsed freeways and that kind of thing, that was right yeah. in the neck of the woods that we were at. So... Um, but yeah, that, that gave me a really, really good, solid uh, uh, experience and not just the skills that I needed as an actor, but also looking at the art as a, a you know, a, the totality of the art. Because what was really great about CalArts for me was the fact that you'd, you'd sit down uh, for lunch uh, and you'd be having a conversation with a, a music major and a film major and uh, yeah. somebody else that was in dance. And you get all those different perspectives coming at you when you're trying to solve a problem, when you're trying to like come up with a creative way to do what you're working on, you'd get all these different voices coming at you to say, hey, have you thought about it for movement? Have you thought about what the picture is? Have you thought about what it sounds like? Right. Uh, so yeah, once I got out of there, I felt like I really had a good base to go on to do what I wanted to do. Um, I, I came back to the Bay Area pretty quick after that, started working as an actor and as a director. But uh, I've, I've always wanted from when I was young, really, the idea of running a company uh, was always very important to me. So uh, yeah, very cool. 2000, 2002, I ended up moving up to Sacramento and uh, myself, uh, Stephanie Gallart and Peter Mormon founded Capital Stage Company. Capital oh, Stage. yes. Yeah, yeah that's, that was us. I got my, okay. here's my, my, my 10 year anniversary mug. That I'm that I'm drinking my coffee at right now. <laughs> See, so I was uh, part of that organization for the first ten years of its life, mm -hmm. uh, and then we all moved on. And uh, so uh, recently, I've been back here in the Bay Area. Uh, <laughs> came back to be close to my family. Uh, uh, my mom passed away a couple of years ago, and I wanted to be mm. close to her and uh, help out the family as much as I could in in her later years. Um, oh, definitely, so, we are sorry to hear that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. But, I, but I'm always thrilled when artists connect to their family because people get disconnected and you've got to remember, you make these lives come, you make these stories come to life on stage 
we are those stories. Yeah. Where yeah. we come from. Absolutely. And my family and my, my, my British heritage has always been extremely, extremely important to me. So coming yeah. back and being a part of that transition in her life was uh, as painful as it was. It was, like, it was a joy, too. And I'm glad to be back here. I feel like I'm home now. And, uh, uh, and, and then I got this amazing opportunity in this last year to take over the artistic leadership of Tabard Theater Company here in the South Bay Area. So this is a new chapter in my life. Uh, definitely a little bit of a strange chapter considering recent events. I didn't think I was going to be taking over in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, <laughs> you weren't <laughs> but, planning for that? No, no, that, that, I didn't see that one in the cards. Uh, you know, I, I missed that in, as in the tarot reading. Uh, somehow that one just passed right past me. But uh, Yeah. I had a quick question for you, Jonathan. Uh, it's interesting talking about expectancies or whatever. Uh, Norman was, had mentioned, we were talking about um, um, improvisation and how life itself is improvisation. And now so you have to sort of think on your toes. And sometimes life can be theater because, you know, you're having to make all of these decisions or what have you. But the question that I had was, we've had a lot of conversation with individuals who had not gone to, um, uh, who had not had formal training. And there are a group of uh, actors or artists who do have formal training. And then there are those who just are, you know, they're just, a, they're, they have their own talent, but it comes from their own, um, their own life experiences. Um, do you have a take on why you think academia is important why it was important to you to go to graduate school and and all of the other trainings instead of just saying hey i think i've got some talents so let me just go and and do my thing uh yeah absolutely i think it's it's two very very different things in my opinion uh i had a i had a mentor here in the south bay early on richard orlando he founded and ran a company down here called northside theater company that i mm. had experience with as i was coming up and, uh, and I, was, I was really going back and forth because I, I was already having some success when I was in my, you know, even before I was 20, in my late teens, I was already starting to get roles at, at companies that were respected. And I thought, do I need to go and do a degree? Is that the right thing? And uh, the one thing that, that Richard said to me, which I, always stuck with me, it's like the, the talent is always there. You get the training for when, when, the, when the talent uh, when the talent fails you so that you have something to fall back on. It's, mm. it's kind of funny because, you know, some people talk about, you know, go, go to school so that you have something else to fall back on if the art itself doesn't work for you. But what I've always thought of it as is you do the training. So, you know, the, the curtain goes up at eight o'clock on Friday night, whether you're ready or not. And mm -hmm. it's great if you feel it and you're there and you can bring all of those things and be in the moment. That's fantastic. And of course, what you always want to do. But there's going to be times that it's not. And you've got to be able to to generate that from wherever it comes from inside of you. And sometimes it's just it can be technical if you if you know that you need to generate it in that way. The last thing I want to do is walk off stage and say, ah, well, you know, I just wasn't there tonight. I gotta, right. I gotta give people what they're expecting, whatever, whatever night it is, whatever happened to me in that day. You know? So there's, <clears throat> there's definitely that side of it. The other side of it, and especially coming from Cal Arts, as I was saying, just that, uh, that perspective of all the different arts and all the different ways of looking at the art that uh, I came out of, uh, I just felt like I had so much, uh, so much of a wider view by the time I came out of that school, 
because of the influence of the music and the dance and the, the cinematography and all the other things that were that were there and available. And you can get that just from having friends and conversations and you know sitting on the porch and having a beer. Absolutely, uh, you know, it, it's just a different way of getting that widened perspective, in my opinion. But uh, yeah. the, 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 I guess, technique is the way to say it, has been really useful and really helpful for me over the years. Uh, but talent and that core inspiration, that spark, that's where it's always got to start from. If you don't yeah. have that to start out with, you know. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I think um, there are, I, I know for myself, I really need it because, you know, I don't, sometimes my brain, my brain, you know, gets, you know, scatters away. And so let's say at eight o'clock when the curtain goes up, I may be focused, I may know my lines, I may know what's going on, but you never know what happens when you walk on stage and yep. what may capture your attention. And you need the technique, like sense memory, or, mm -hmm. you know, the things to put up the fourth wall, or, you know, just uh, the little things. I know for every time before I go on stage, at least a half hour before the audience comes in, I do my vocal exercises, my resonators, mm -hmm. making sure that, you know, my voice is all warmed up all the things that I learned from school, I may not need these things, but I mean, it, it sort of anchors me. I know that I'm what I call game ready. And I yeah. think um, it differs with everyone, but I totally get your perspective. And also getting the perspective, I mean, a lot of folks have tunnel vision. They get into theater because they want to do their type of theater their way, and they don't take in other people's perspectives. And when you talk about communicating with people who are dancers and singers and uh, musicians, then you really do get an outside perspective of what you may want to do on stage or, or get another perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The, the idea of sitting down with a group of people and solving uh, an issue, uh, you know, coming at a piece of art from these different perspectives. The other thing I always think about, and this is a little bit different of a topic, but I like working on two, three, four different projects at a time because I, ah, think, you know, the one you can that do I'm, that, huh? yeah, you know, the, the, it, the way I think about it, it's it's like you're it's like you're cooking. You, you've got the one pot that's right in front of you, and you're working on that one. But you got other things on the back burners, and they're simmering away. And you might something just cross pollinates. You know, it, an idea yeah. because of the one you're working on right now just jumps over and ends up in that other in that other mix, and it just becomes so much richer because of that. Right? Yeah. yeah. I would say I definitely did that. I do that with teaching. I. First, I was just, you know, I was looking for another way to pay the bills, mm. but I found the approaches that I had, because of the limitations of a school environment, were, just forced me to be more creative, and suddenly I was doing that wherever. I was like, oh, duh. The way I thought about casting, because it's sort of, it's weird. I, I, I always make analogies to the way the military works. Like a doctor in the military, a medic, in real life, a doctor's job is to help people, right? Do no harm. In the military, a medic's job is to support the mission. So if you got a gut wound and you got an arm, we're going to put you on morphine and sit you over in the other room. We're going to fix that arm and get you back to the front line, support mm -hmm. the mission. And in theater, I was always thinking, oh, you got to cast like the best people in the best roles because that's what works. Well, in your class situation, you've got a whole classroom to deal with. And you start realizing that your strongest actors need to be in those anchor roles, like Romeo and Juliet. It's um, um, I want to say Biandello. Is that right? No. Yeah, uh, Romeo's best friend, who we see from the beginning of the play to the end of the play. 
<clears throat> that actor needs to be solid. The audience needs to connect to them from the first scene when they first see him till the end of the play when he's still standing and everybody has died. <laughs> right. We got to care about that. So that's where I need my strong actor. And it totally changed the way I think about casting. Yeah. I don't worry about my Romeo and Juliet anymore. As long as you're vaguely pretty or we can put some makeup on you, you guys are going to be fine. Um, we need a world that is dynamic and that is coming at you and is forcing you to deal. And the story, the playwright actually did the rest of that work. If you do a good job, then the audience will cry a little bit more. But if you don't, the audience will feel that world closing in on you the way the playwright wants it to happen. I'm like, oh, suddenly I was freed as a director. I was like, oh, I could do whatever I want. It reminds me so much of um, you can have a great uh, quarterback, but if your offensive line is crap, uh, then, you know, that person's going to get crushed. So right. surrounding your actors with really, really talented supporting actors, that really helps out. You can have a really superior offensive line, and an actor and a quarterback who's sort of okay, you're going to do okay anyway. Right. Yeah. You're going to get through the season. They're not going to lose points. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, getting back to uh, Johnson. So tell us about Tabard theater. Um, what, what, how the connection between you and them, I mean, you know, obviously they can offer you a job, but you saw something in Tabard theater that connects to you. Uh, tell us about Tabard theater. So uh, Tabard Theater, uh, it, it really kind of came out of, uh, out of left field, the, the way that I ended up getting connected. Um, my, my, my girlfriend, my partner, uh, Stephanie Wiggum, uh, has been working for those guys in a number of different companies. She's an actress herself, uh, but she's also a graphics designer. And so she was doing graphic design for these guys. She, she does it for a number of different companies here in the Bay Area, both South Bay and uh, and. Uh, uh, San Francisco and, and whatnot. Um, so I was just kind of aware of what they were doing. I was, I was seeing shows. I, I loved the, the space. I thought there's a tremendous uh, potential. I felt like uh, in the uh, community theater world that they're really poised to take, go to the next level is kind of what I was seeing inside of what was happening, uh, was happening there. Um, they uh, they had this last season all set up. They were doing 39 Steps, a uh, very popular production. Oh, wow. A lot of different companies that have been doing it over the, you know. Right. Didn't the stage stuff. do it not uh, long ago? Yeah. No, San Jose Stage has done it. it. I mean, it was just done yeah. at TheaterWorks in the same last year. Uh, I, I think TheaterWorks actually was remounting a production that they had done several years before. You know, uh, right. Robert Kelly's last season, his 50th anniversary Tony award-winning season. Uh, <laughs> right. But um, so they were doing 39 Steps, and I had actually done a sound design for the 39 Steps uh, for a company in Florida, of all places, uh, with American mm. Stage. Uh, uh -huh. So I had a sound design complete and ready to go. And so I reached out to Kathy Cassetta, who was the, uh, the she just, just stepped down as the uh, founding artistic director of the Tabard Theater Company. Mm. And I said, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in being your sound designer for 39 Steps. She came back to me and said, well, can you send me a resume? And uh, I don't have a resume as a sound designer per se. I've done a lot of sound design as part of what I do in the theater, but never set up a sound design resume before. So I just sent her an email, a couple of pages long about everything that I've ever done, <laughs> including <Right. laughs> going to Sacramento and being a part of the founding of Capital Stage Company, et cetera. So she sent an email back to me which basically said, yes, we'd love you to be the sound designer for 39 Steps. 
Um, also interested in talking to you about being the production manager because we're looking to fill that position. And by the way, do you have any interest in applying to be the next executive artistic director? <laughs> wow. They want you bad. Yeah, so uh, I said yes, absolutely. And within a couple of months, uh, we had all those conversations and really talked about vision for the company and uh, been introduced to the board of directors. And I was uh, very thankfully selected to be the, the next leader of the company. So uh, uh, again, never thought that it was going to be inside of uh, the COVID shutdown. Uh, we've right. been really looking about how do we reinvent ourselves now inside of everything that's going on socially inside of the world. Yeah. Here's, here, here's a question because we've talked about, we've had a couple of artistic directors on. We've had recently Arena Mario, who uh, is the artistic director for Bindlestip, but also we've had Susan Evans on. We've had um, Linda S. Frederick. Um, there was Off-Broadway West, although they're closed down, and those were run by the Harders. And I know that being an artistic director, you have to select the season, you have to select the pieces, and that itself is an artistic choice. Oh, yeah. Just as much as a choice of an actor on stage. Mm -hmm. And you sort of set the tone as to what this theater is about, and also what you're about. Um, the play that's going on right now um, about Alonzo Fields, did you make that decision or was that decision made before you became artistic director? No, the, 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 sh the season that was in process, which was ending with looking over the president's shoulder, which is the story of Alonzo Fields, was absolutely set in motion, you know, probably a good 12 months before I became associated in the position that I'm in now. And as a matter of fact, the, the season that we will be producing uh, this upcoming year uh, was very much sculpted by Kathy Cassetta before, uh, you know, that, that, that had all, all that work happened so far in advance. You know, you really, you're thinking about, once you're really making those decisions, you're making those decisions 12, 18, sometimes even longer months ahead of time, right? Uh, so uh, this particular production, looking over the president's shoulder was uh, absolutely in place and planned long, long before I became associated. Uh, what I think is really interesting is how how it has changed, how our perspective about this particular piece has changed because of current events. Right. Uh, when we, when, when, when Kathy Cassetta and uh, Tabard put this in place, it was, uh, it was a, a very interesting perspective of uh, 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 an individual who went to Washington DC uh, with hopes of becoming an opera singer who uh, during the depression needed to make ends meet and ended up taking a job as a butler uh, in, in the White House. And yeah, during the, the Hoover administration, Herbert Hoover, that was his first president yeah. that he served. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you know, now it's, a, it's the story of a black man who went down that same path. You cannot escape that. Was that an important piece of the puzzle before uh, current events and everything that's happening socially inside of the United States? Yes, absolutely. Was it the most present thing? No. But now, because of our, our lens has shifted, it becomes a much more important part of that story. Yeah, I, th I think what's, it's, it's, it's fascinating uh, that Tabard Theater would have that in their mind. I mean, one of the things that we complain as black actors, um, both Norman and I, are our representation on stage, you know, not only how we're represented, but even can we get on stage? You know, so a lot mm -hmm. of times we may audition for something and, you know, they're like, well, you know, we really don't see you in this role or whatever. And it becomes problematic. But now you have 
Tabitha Theater bringing on a life story of a black man who has had to navigate, you know, so many um, presidents in so many eras and times, you know, through World War II and through the Great Depression mm-hmm. and through the Civil Rights Movement, all the way up to, I want to say, was it Jimmy Carter? Uh, let me see, who was the last president that he served? No, no, uh, he was just, Eisenhower was just taken. Eisenhower, that, that, yeah, uh, yeah. So it was during the Eisenhower uh, administration that he actually left, so. And the, you know, the, the interesting thing to me about that is that Eisenhower had Nixon as his VP. So right. you kind of see all that mess on the horizon mm. in the end of that story. Yeah. But you have a slice of life of American history. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that we've had, you know, uh, as far as the A and even just as far as my writing and, you know, um, and Norman's sort of uh, career or whatever is where is the black man in American life? You know, if we can complain about just, you know, how, the decisions that we make, the jobs that we take or whatever, it's not so much us, but it's the, the world that we're in. You know, um, someone may, I don't know, um, choose a life of crime because they need to survive and they may justify that. Or someone may, you know, just acquiesce and, um, and take, you know, the, the desk job. And, you know, and that's that. But we all make decisions for our families. We make the best decisions that are made for us. And that alone is a story. And whether it's embraced by a younger generation or whatever, it's still a story. It's a story of my granddad. I could see my granddad mm-hmm. being someone like, you know, feet Mr. Fields. Yeah. Um, so I think it's very prescient. <clears throat> yeah, and to me, that's really the core of the story. The core of the story is not about the color of the man's skin. It's about the, the socioeconomic things that he was dealing with. He made the decisions that he made because he needed to provide for his family. And it was during the depression. One of the lines that is in the play is uh, he says, uh, you know, there, there weren't a lot of jobs for opera singers back in that day. And then he goes on to say, there weren't a lot of jobs, period. And right. Really what was going on, the Great Depression, people were just struggling to survive. So uh, to me, it's, uh, it's, it's very much a story of the time, and the time had to do with uh, a, a world where you just took the job that you could get, and you were thankful to be able to put food in your family's mouths. Yeah. Uh, There's always been a tug of war within, um, the, uh, I would say, black society, and maybe even other minority societies, whether you're Latino or Asian or what have you. And we've talked about it before, Norman and I, um, you know, in the turn of the century, Booker T. Washington said, hey, we need to assimilate. We need to, you know, get better jobs so we can be better servants for, you know, the white uh, sharecroppers or, or what have you. Whereas W.B. Du Bois says, no, we need to fight, resist, resist, resist. Mm-hmm. Richard Wright talked about this in his, you know, debate against James Baldwin. You know, when do you resist and fight and when do you acquiesce or, you know, just give in a little? Uh, even now, Tanahashi Coates had a little debate with Cornell West about the legacy of Barack Obama. Some may say, oh, Obama was fantastic. And someone like Cornell West may say, well, no, he wasn't radical enough. So mm-hmm. there's always these, it's almost like dimmers and faders, you know, when do you mm-hmm. face dimmer higher or lower? So that would be my perspective. I mean, uh, Norman, which, because I feel like I'm talking too much, you know. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, well, I mean, the first thing I got—I can't help but think—is because we mentioned it before we started uh, recording. Um, is it this related at all to the Butler, the movie, the Butler? Uh, yeah, actually, it is. Uh, the, okay. That movie. Oh, with Forrest Whitaker, right? Yes. 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 That is a, a much looser interpretation of the story of Alonzo Fields. So that—that right. that is based on that man. 
Yes. Uh, but not so specifically. This is absolutely based on Alonzo Fields' memoir. Okay, so it's, that's it's cool. a, a reiteration of his words. You know, it's, it's taking his words out of the pages of the, of the memoir and putting it up on the stage. Yeah. So. No, I, I love that. I, and I do, I know, Reg, we do talk around these things, and I'm always intrigued. I have my personal biases, like anybody, but... Um, when it comes to that sort of monolithic discussion, that discussion of the monolithic black experience, I, I, I'm always troubled. And what I like much more is the specific. Give us somebody and put them in a context, and then we can discuss what their choices are, what options are there, and how well they navigate. That, you know, that becomes a fruitful discussion. Um, I, I want people to be... I don't want an audience to be uncomfortable to the point where they're not having a good time, but I definitely want them to sit up and kind of go, huh? Or what's this about? Or are you trying to tell me something about what's going on now? And personally, I love a story that has its own reality, that is its own message, its own thing, but it resonates in so many ways for what the audience is experiencing. And it sounds like this is that kind of thing where if people want to connect this up to Black Lives Matter, great. I got into a debate this morning about uh, the phrase defunding the police. Somebody wants to change it. It's a horrible phrase. You're, you're, you're getting the wrong message, and we're not going to get support for that. And I'm like, well, in my whole lifetime, I have never heard people on the right say, well, of course we have to talk about police reform, but... I, that whole statement has never come out of a right-winger's mouth with a tangible... These are things that we would support doing to make things different. That's happening only because we're talking about defunding the police. And what I love about it is, one, I'm not going to back off of that. If I've got a scary weapon pointed at you and you're like, you're pointing a weapon at me, and we're having the conversation I want to have, I know I'm not going to kill you, but we're having the conversation I want to have. Tell me more about these reforms. You know what? That sounds like a good reform. Can we nail that down? Great. So, Senator, you'll support that? That's wonderful. You know what I can bring to the table? I'm going to let go of this idea of defunding the police. We, we're not going to abolish the police department. We're going to do those reforms you want. Never had that conversation. We wouldn't be having it if it weren't for what's going on now. So on the one end, we've got Black Lives Matter, and it's scaring the daylights out of a lot of people. Great. And on the other hand, we have a lot of people saying very reasonably, well, maybe we can do this. Or, you know, we... Congress just voted to get rid of the statues. Mm -hmm. You know, that conversation has been a non-starter for so long. So don't tell me let's get rid of defund the police. That's stupid. With a play like this, if people are feeling like their buttons are being pushed, I love that you get to just come back to the simple conversation of, well, you know, this is actually the history. Were you aware of this history? How do you feel about this history? bring the conversation back to what the play has to say and then let people have their feelings and give them a place to say, that's what we do. We give you a place to have these feelings. Yes, absolutely. And one thing that we're trying to do, I, I keep th thinking of it as, uh, you know, really good art is a conversation. It's not a one way street. It's not us just telling, it's not telling stories, it's starting the conversation. We're gonna start it by telling the story, but we want right. you to talk back and have, have your part of the conversation too. So that's what I'm trying to do more than anything else right now is, yeah, okay, I've got a piece of theater up there that is a, is a perspective. And if it gets us talking about stuff and it gets people thinking, that's fantastic. So uh, in a COVID world, 
we're doing mm -hmm. these Zoom talkbacks. I'll be doing one after today's uh, show. Uh, oh, wow. I want to get as many people on the, the, the phone, uh, on, the, on, on the internet, having these discussions and keep this going forward. There's a great energy going on in the world right now. Um, let's make sure that it's constructive and let's make sure that it keeps going because we might actually be able to change stuff. Let's, let's make it happen. Yeah, I think that's what theater is all about, and I think that's fantastic. And I'm sure John Creer is doing, uh, James Creer is doing a fantastic job. Um, is he local? Because that's the he first is, time yeah, I've heard this name. He's South Bay Area. He's, uh, uh, he, I don't think that he would describe himself as an actor first. I think he would describe himself as a singer first. Uh, huh. uh, he has been an actor for many, many years. Uh, and I, I think it's amazing. The job that he is doing, the fact that he's uh, doing a one-man show. Uh, it's mm -hmm. him on the stage for two hours, completely solo. Woo! have anybody else to, to save him if something goes wrong. It's, it's him carrying that the entire time. And now, because we've basically been turned into a, a live streaming theater, uh, right. he's having to do that without even the, the benefit of an audience to give him the energy back. So he's doing a, 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 just a titan's job holding oh. the world on his shoulders and telling this story. That's awesome. I'm interested. directed? Uh, Doug Baird is the director. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'm interested in the technical. So, I mean, it's, it sounds like Tabard Theater. I mean, for the, for the time being, it's almost like a television studio. I mean, do you have two cameras, one camera? How is the tech being done? Yeah, no, we're doing a three camera shoot. Uh, all the cameras are fully robotic cameras. Uh, we've had the great fortune to be uh, helped out from uh, Silicon Valley Community Foundation, gave us a grant to help us make this happen. But we're right. investing our time and our energy and the little bit of money that we have uh, into making, exactly right, uh, we're turning Tabard Theater into a live stream studio for now. As a matter of fact, very seriously as a live stream stu uh, studio, uh, because um, according to Santa Clara County, we cannot operate as a theater. We are legally right. a live stream uh, a studio. That is legally allowed. And so all of those considerations as well, in order to be working 100% above board, uh, you know, 250 square feet of airspace per individual, the types of things that I've had to figure out in the last couple of months are just, just a little bit crazy. But to get back to your original question, yeah, it, it's, uh, we're, a, we're a studio, three cameras. Uh, each one of those cameras, they're fully programmed. Uh, they, they have pan, tilt, and zoom on them. Wow. Uh, uh -huh. If you were to watch wow. the, the stream right now, and, and there will be one later on this afternoon, uh, okay. if you were to watch the stream right now, it's a, it's a little shaky. We are learning as we go along, but it's mm -hmm. still live. And that's what's so important to me, is that right. we are not, we're not taking and putting a performance in, in the editing studio and then you know, making the best, most polished version that has a distance from even a, 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 an internet audience. This is right. still live. You're still able to see exactly what's happening in those moments. Uh, so, you know, if, if the actor flubs a line, that's what happens. If, if uh, the camera pans away and all of a sudden he walks off a frame, that's what happens. We, we're not going to be in a place where we can go back and edit any of that. Yeah. Uh, no, there are, there are so many theater companies that just end, uh, will just envy the Tabard Theater because, you know, you're doing what a lot of theater companies would love to do, especially right now, because really it's all, you know, hopefully your cameras are up. You know, I'm doing a couple of Zoom readings and you just hope that the actors have their, uh, you know, a good enough bandwidth and a good enough um, laptop right. 
job done. But Tabitha Theater, I mean, this, and who knows, it may be the future, you know, this may be. Sure, you want to have a live audience sitting in the seats, but right. in, the, in the age of YouTube and uh, Zoom and video, Vimeo, um, you know, this may be another option. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, and I think that's something that we're going to keep doing because, uh, well, first, first of all, I, I think about when, when we are first able to come back, we're going to be able to come back in a socially distanced way. So we won't right. be able to have 150 people in the theater as we were normally having. Maybe we have only right. 50 people to start out with. Right. And, uh, you know, a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of older folks, are, 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 our patrons uh, tend to be uh, on the older side. Um, mm. People are at, at higher levels of risk. I think that it's going to be a longer time before they feel comfortable coming back. Right. Um, and then in the long run, I think about the idea that this is something that could, uh, we could take our art to a completely different audience. Uh, for example, you know, I have family in the United Kingdom. They're eight hours ahead of us. We're doing a 1230 show next Wednesday. Uh, it'll be the first time that some of my family are able to see anything that I've ever done because wow. it, it's live. They can't come all, all the way here to this country to see something. They'll be able to tune in halfway around the world. So mm -hmm. the ability to reach an entirely different uh, audience, um, it, it's, it's got its complications. It's got its challenges. But it's something that I think is here to stay, uh, even mm -hmm. when I can have an audience back in the room. I start thinking about somebody who maybe starts to experience us because of the live stream and, and then starts to say, well, I want to go and actually be in the theater because I want to see how they do it. You know, right. we could have a whole new uh, generation of people that are coming into the theater because they experience it on a live stream first. Yeah, so, building uh, the bridge to that place where hopefully we do get back. Yeah, there there are things that are going to become a perm a permanent part of how we make theater. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's exciting. I think it's exciting what Tabitha Theater is doing. It's fantastic. One last question because we've uh, it's one o two. What is your future as the artistic director for Tabitha? I mean, what are some projects that you can see happening in the future? Uh, well, that's a very interesting question, and I think that's going to be changing a lot right now because of, uh, uh, of the because of the COVID virus, because of social distancing and things like that. What I am hoping to do in the short term is really open up our facility for uh, a multitude of stories and voices. I want to I want to give opportunities to uh, any kind of story that I can that I can find people that might want to come down and have a partnership with us, rent the theater, do a co-production. I've had people reach out because we have this technology now. Uh, you know, some, there's many theater companies that had shows that were up. Uh, right. I've got those companies reaching out to me and saying, hey, is there any possibility that we could take that show and put it up on your stage? Uh, so wow. I'm really interested in seeing that kind of partnership happen. Um, it's, it's going to be a while before I'm really announcing a season that is entirely my own. Sure. Uh, but uh, so I, I look forward to that as, as well. Um, but in, in the near future, what I'm really interested in is partnering with those people that are disenfranchised right now just because of what's going on in the world and saying, hey, I've got a way for us to be able to tell our stories. Uh, come down, be a partner with me, be a partner with Tabard, and, and let's get those stories out there. And I, I'm so uh, fascinated by 
trying to make that as inclusive and as diverse as possible. Uh, I, I just, anybody who's got something that's worth telling, a story that's worth telling out there right now, I, I want us to be able to tell those stories. And I want to be able to be there to listen. Uh, I think yeah. about what, uh, you know, my, my so, it's, you know, I, I come from a place where I, I know, I don't think about it all the time, but I know that I have, you know, what people would call white privilege. I, you know, I come from a place where I, I don't have the same struggles as other people have. So I don't want to be the person who tells people what they should see or what they should listen to. I want to mm -hmm. create a place where people can tell the stories that they want to tell. So yeah. uh, I don't know. That might sound just kind of all highfalutin and stuff like that. But no, 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 it sounds like a great place to start. <laughs> it is. And the thing about privilege is, you know, you didn't create the privilege. You know, you, you know it's, it's, it, it is what it is. But as far as an artistic director, you have that in mind. You know, a lot of people have to come dragging and screaming to that perspective. <laughs> Uh, and you know you, you haven't gotten there. You probably heard about the the open letter. Is that what it's called, Norman? The uh, living living yeah, letter. Living document. Living document. Living yeah. Living document. Yes. Have you heard about that, Jonathan? I have absolutely. I was part of the the. the as soon as I heard about it, I I, I started to to be a you know, get involved with that movement. I know that the uh, Theater Bay Area has uh, really taken up the mantle. Uh, I've yep. been a part of, of that and trying to find a way to make. Uh, you know, we think of ourselves as in the Bay Area, like we are really ahead of the curve, you know, we, we're, we're, we're so, you know, forging, forging the way in the far left on the, on the West Coast, right? But right. the reality is we all have blind spots. It doesn't matter how yeah. woke you are, you, you got to challenge yourself all the time to be better and be better and be better. So, uh, yeah, I, I've, I've been very involved in that. I'm, I'm really interested in, in hearing people, uh, you know, tell, tell the perspective that they, that they have. Uh, you know, for, mm -hmm. uh, for a long, long time, I've been really uh, uh, trying to be as much as I, uh, I, I can a, a champion for, for women's rights. I know that uh -huh. a, a, a ton of, uh, you know, it, just you go, you go back to the idea that uh, there's four times more women in our industry than men. And there's like half as many roles, half as many parts. Right, uh, right. Minimally, we should be looking as, uh, myself as an artistic director and other artistic directors should be saying, half of the people in the world are women. That means that half of the stories that we tell should be from a female perspective. Uh, right. That just, that just doesn't happen. I, I, I tip my hat to, to people uh, like uh, uh, other shotgun players in response to that a few years back. They did a season that was nothing but female playwrights. Uh, All right. Yeah. I, I just try to think of that as uh, how, how can I do that for everybody's story? How can I do that? And I know that I'm never going to be able to be perfect in that. Uh, I'm going right. to fail as many times as I succeed. But I, I want to dare to fail. I want to try to be to be better, and I, I want to try to be as inclusive and as open as possible. Sounds good. Yeah, no, you can't do it all, Spike Lee. Right. Spike Lee gets beat up every time he does a movie because yep. they come at him. Why don't you do this? And why don't you do that? And it's part of the. I think it's a mark of success. If you do it well, people are going to come at you and say, "Well, why aren't you doing this?" Right. Exactly. One quick question: uh, Are you? Um, so I'm thinking about equity, non-equity. Do you are are there are there opportunities for equity actors to get on stage at Tabard? Not right now. Uh, mm -hmm. That's actually working to our benefit at this moment because one of the big uh, 
difficulties that the unions are having is trying to work out contracts right. uh, for live streams. Uh, right. So that, thankfully, of all of the of all of the issues that I've been wrestling with, uh, is not one that I'm having to deal with right now. I would yeah, like the, to have opportunities for union associated performers going forward, um, but that's you know that's just going to be down the line. That's just going to have to be something that I fight when I have the bandwidth to even of course. think about it. You know, yeah, no, the union, the union's going to have to catch up. <laughs> yeah, no, no, they are. Uh, it just these, you know, the streaming contracts with the licensing companies for the stories. Uh, the one that I have, you know, everybody's still thinking of this like it's before streaming was happening. Uh, so right. The contracts are really kind of weird. We're, we're figuring out as we, as we go along. But yeah, people yeah. got to catch up because this is what's happening. It's the only way that we're able to do things right now. Uh, so I hope that the unions are going to be able to support. I know that they're just trying to protect their membership. I'm, I'm a union member myself. I, yeah, I can't yeah, work yeah, on my own here. stage. You know, I, I, I can't take a role on my own stage right now. Right. But, uh, I, I'm definitely hoping that, uh, that the, everybody catches up and we get on the, on the same page. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, somewhere down the line, I will definitely be talking to the unions and trying to figure out how I can get people uh, from the unions up on our stage. Sounds good. All righty. Um, well, we've hit the one hour mark. Um, shout outs, <clears throat> birthdays. Oh, yeah. I swear to God, something was happening, something. And it makes sense. You start to get to the cold part of the year and everybody bundles up and they just start having babies. <laughs> we got so many. Um, so I'll try to go quickly. Uh, Jessica Ur is an actress that I did. Um, gosh, what do we call it? Uh, Everyday Alice. It was a sort of a modern take on if Alice, if a grown-up Alice were in a relationship with a grown-up Peter Pan, <laughs> um, it was a fun little play, and we had a wonderful little ensemble. Did it with Utopia Theater. That's where I met Jessica. Uh, Chico Perdiman is a wonderful actor who, before I was making money in the Bay Area Theater and I was doing stuff, I remember talking to Chico once. Uh, we were just getting the African American Shakespeare Company up and running. Had no money. And I said, but if somebody was going to have... Uh, offer you Hamlet, wouldn't you do it? And he's like, well, if they paid me. <laughs> and I didn't used to understand that attitude. I totally do now. So Chico's somebody I've known a long time. Dawson Moore, a playwright in the Bay Area. Annette Roman, playwright I've just met um, in the last couple of years uh, through uh, Playground, SF Playground. Uh, Rotimi, oh boy, Akbabiaka. I always mess up his name. Rutimi is this amazing performer. Um, he did a black writer at um, Shotgun a couple years ago. He's been doing a lot of solo stuff and taking it, trying to take it to both coasts. He's amazing. Uh, ben Lippitz is somebody I went to CalArts with. Hmm. And we just reconnected on Facebook a couple of years ago. Uh, Will Shattuck was the assistant director on the SF Shakes um, As You Like It, which I got to do last year. Uh, and it's an auspicious day to be talking about that because they are opening their show today. Sydney Schwint was the, um, was I think our fight coordinator on that. Uh, Greg Manalo is a wonderful Filipino actor, um, dancer, martial artist, um, and, um, and clothing designer, actually. Um, he is part of the very hip, if you want to go for hip and local, this is like, you know, international fashion, on the local level, I went to his house once and he was just showing me these swaths of fabric. And I'm like, dude, you are serious. And they are. They make some beautiful stuff. Hmm. Uh, Lauren Spencer 
I think it's the first actress where I actually had to play a dad to somebody. I was like, wow, um, I feel weird about this. You're grown. I'm playing your dad. Uh, Amanda Sheldon is the other partner of Matt Shelton at the Shelton Theater in San Francisco. Brian Thorstenson is a playwright. He's known as a playwright and a teacher. Um, but um, I first met him as an actor when we both did a high school it was um, uh, a Miri Baraka play, The Toilet, and it's set in a high school bathroom, so we were very young. <laughs> uh, Howard Johnson Jr., actor that I got to do, um, one of the first shows that the Oakland Public Theater ever did uh, was called Blackballing, and Howard was one of our athletes. Dale Albright, who you probably were going to mention, so I won't say more. It's Michael okay. Curry, young actor, um, Young actor. I guess he's not that young, but he keeps playing boys. <laughs> um, and he was in uh, Black Odyssey at Cal Shakes, which was so successful, they brought it back, and then I think they took it, or they were planning to take it north. I think this COVID thing might have bumped that. Uh, William Razo is somebody who's involved with the um, Anton's Well Theater, and I guess he's also directing in other companies. <sighs> Almost done. Kitty Pine. Is somebody who I knew by another name, but on Facebook she is Kitty Pine. She's a young Latina. It was weird. When 9-11 happened, I was in rehearsal for a show as an actor, and I was just starting Oakland Public Theater, and we were going to have a reading of a local, I wanted to do a local playwright. And this woman was an immigrant, and her lawyer told her, you are about to go to court. You cannot have a story up right now. And I had this whole cast of actors, including Kitty, who I had to, we sat down for our first rehearsal, and I said, so we are not going to do the show. We're going to do another show. I'm going to talk to each of you individually and ask if you want to stay with the project, <laughs> which wasn't even the play we were doing, and she stayed with us. I'm so grateful. And last, Jamie Myrick, who technically is not a theater person, but her husband is Kevin Myrick, who does um, all the tech for the African American Shakespeare Company. Birthday, folks, for this weekend. I mean, this week. <clears throat> And uh, my list is shorter. Um, Tom Ferris, uh, I acted with him on, we did 110 in the Shade at the uh, Douglas Morrison Theater. And so his Yay. birthday today, he's 70 years old. Happy birthday, Tom. Also, Lindsay Schmelzer, her birthday is tomorrow. Lindsay Schmelzer, uh, I've worked with her at Town Hall Theater. She's usually the uh, musical director at the Town Hall, and she was a guest on the Yay. And um, she and her husband are, also, uh, are involved in theater. It's always good to have a couple who are bonded by theater. Yay. Um, and I think one other person, you said Dale Albright. One Ooh, I didn't give any credit to, so say who he is. <laughs> well, Dale Albright, he um, helps runs. He doesn't really run, but he's a part of the Theater Bay Area. So, um, but he's also an actor, and I think he directs as well. And he directs, yes. Yes. And the last person I have is Barbara Michelson Harder. She is the um, partner, the wife of Richard Harder, and they ran Off-Broadway West before uh, that closed down, I think, earlier this year. And they moved north. That's right. right. They moved to, uh, I believe, Washington. So that is it. And um, any shows, uh, Norman, do you have any shows going on uh, other than um, radio, talk radio? I, I, radio, radio golf. golf. <laughs> radio golf. I <laughs> uh, know. Thankfully, Radio golf, and then I get to take a break for a while. <laughs> yeah, both of us are uh, will be doing radio golf uh, today at 5 p.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time, which and 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's the August Wilson piece. 
I think uh, I forget the. Are we five p.m.? Oh crap! Yeah, <laughs> because I've got another one at eight. I gotta PM. send messages out to other people. Jeez, I, I sent out five thirty. Uh oh. Yep. So radio golf. Uh, that is, uh, I think, it's the Charlottesville Players. Um, they're a group in Virginia, and uh, they've recruited us, uh, folks from the Bay Area, to do the play. It's as Norman said earlier. It's uh, the last piece of August Wilson's. Um, I think Pittsburgh it's a cycle. Yeah, the, the, the century cycle. Yeah. yeah, the century cycle, yes. Yeah. So that's been very cool. And Norman and I, we've been involved in another one earlier, Gym of the Ocean. That was earlier this month. Right. And uh, so, and now we get to do uh, radio golf. So that'll we be. We just can't five. stop it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that'll be at 5 p.m. And then three hours later, I wrote a play called Ang Espia, uh, which is uh, Tagalog for the spy. And mm -hmm. that will be part of a three person, uh, three. Uh, one-act play piece that Bindlestiff will be uh, showcasing. Uh, that'll be at 8 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So anyone who wants links to that, uh, PM me directly, and I will send you the links. So that's and what I put in the um, chat, the uh, King Lear, SF Shakes, Free Shakespeare in the Park, they open today. Yeah. And, uh, which is funny because on their thing it said last week, but all the th stuff I'm seeing online today says they're opening today. Uh, 7 o'clock, and then uh, they'll be running Saturday, 7 o'clock, and Sundays, uh, 4 o'clock, and Monday, Labor Day, 4 o'clock will be the last show. And, of course, we have to, um, looking over the president's shoulder, that is uh, the Tabard Theater's production of um, the play Looking Over the President's Shoulder about Alonzo Fields, and uh, that opened, I think it, it opened yesterday, correct? Yeah, and it'll we be opened last night, that's right. Woo! Yeah. We got another one at three, so I'm going to have to get head over there pretty right. darn quick and get ready for that. Yeah, uh, so we'll have a link uh, for that uh, for anyone watching the yay. So uh, we want to uh, showcase that. Anything else going on, Jonathan, that you want to showcase? Uh, yeah, I just uh, you know a huge shout out to all those folks that are working at uh, SF Shakes and I, the fact that they put Jessica Powell as Lear in King Lear. I think that that is yeah. Fantastic. I know. She's amazing. Uh, we worked on uh, Coriolanus at uh, Pack Rep last, uh, oh. last year. She played my my mother in that one. I, I played Coriolanus, the man himself. And dang, that oh, was, that's uh, incredible! That was an honor to be on the stage with her. Uh, I, I, I cast her uh, up at at, uh, at um, yeah Capital Stage up in Sacramento. She uh, worked on a project up there with me, and I just love her. I think it's fantastic that she's got the opportunity. Uh, and then the only other thing that I wanted to bring up is uh, that we, we lost a, a dear friend and a, and a great uh, theater advocate in the Sacramento area, Lisa, uh, Lisa Lacey, passed oh. away suddenly this last week. And I just wanted to remember her, um, tremendous uh, um, black actress and, and artistic voice in the Sacramento area. And, uh, and unfortunately... I don't even know the full detail of, of uh, what happened. It was very sudden uh, that we, we lost her this last week. So I just wanted no, to thank you. remember her. Thank you for uh, mentioning it. Because I saw Margot Hall had posted and said, Lisa, gone too soon. Yeah. And I was like, who's Lisa? Nobody in the comment stream said. There was, you know, like 100 people commenting. Nobody said who they were talking about. I was like, ah. Yeah, no, she, uh, she's tr tremendous activist uh, in the Sacramento area. Uh, it, <laughs> I mean, it, I, I say this with all the love in the world. Uh, she's the type of person that, that probably more people would remember because they anno she annoyed the heck out of them trying to get the right thing done. 
uh, in her life. Uh, yeah, she was always in the face of the politicians and the, and the people that, that had held the purse strings and made the decisions, trying to make sure that there was uh, you know, a, a, an equity and a diversity of the voices in the Sacramento arts scene. She's a huge, huge advocate and it's a huge loss to the community. Wow, yeah. That's great, no, thank you for that. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. John, did you enjoy yourself? I did. I had a great time. Thank you so much. I'm, uh, I, I, you know, I, I was saying it's, it was a really long time before we were able to put this together. Everything does happen for a reason. I'm glad that I was able to, uh, uh, you know, to talk about what we are doing over at the Tabard Theater. Uh, but gosh, I, man, I wish we'd done it a year ago and done this one. Uh, and I can't <laughs> wait to see that. <laughs> no, thank you so much. No, it was, it was a great thrill uh, to finally speak to you. I knew you as an actor, but you know, now, you know, as a creative and as an artistic director, I can tell Tabard Theater will be doing magnificent things under your leadership. So thank you so much. All righty. So, um, well, folks are watching the A right now, probably on YouTube, if you clicked on the Facebook link, but we also have the audio uh, of of VA, and you can listen to that on any podcast that you listen to your apps. If you're a uh, I, iPod, iPad, an iPhone user like myself, <laughs> you can use it. Yeah, I know it's the podcast apps. Any podcast that you listen to um, uh, your podcasts, and also uh, we're on Spotify. We're on SoundCloud. Uh, if you're an Android user, you can use the SoundCloud app or just go on SoundCloud.com. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'm at Red Space Clay. And I'm at Hoosier Hoosier. Jonathan, how, how can people find you? Uh, we'll have a link to the TabardTheaterCompany.org, but um, – how can people find you directly? Uh, yeah, uh, Tabard Theater is probably the, the best way. But uh, you know, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Jonathan Williams on 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 Facebook. Uh, I, I'm probably not good enough at making sure that me personally is out there in the world. Um, so yeah, I would say go find me through the theater. Uh, that's that's the best way that I want to be known going forward. That's going to be my voice. So. I hear you. All right. Well, thanks everybody. Have a wonderful weekend. And as we always say. We gotta find, we gotta find a better sign off. And we are out. Yeah.